We're back on Due South on WUNC. I'm Leonida Inge. Since 2010, North Carolina has frequently been in the spotlight of American politics. Culture wars, gerrymandering, and a newfound presidential battleground have made our state's legislature and electorate among the most fraught, fascinating, and fought over in the country. On this election day, we thought it would be a good time to revisit our political history as a battleground state. Chris Cooper is a close observer of this era. He's the Madison Distinguished Professor of Political Science and Public Affairs, as well as the director of the Public Policy Institute at Western Carolina University. He's also the author of Anatomy of a Purple State, due out in time for the 2024 election. Professor Cooper recently spoke with my co-host Jeff Tiberi from his office in Cullowhee, and he began with a few topics to help us synthesize what contemporary North Carolina politics is all about. Three themes that I think have sort of changed the state in some important ways are nationalization, polarization, and competition. And I think those three things combined have sort of added fuel to the fire of North Carolina politics, um, a fire that's been burning for a while, right? We've been a Purple state for a long time, but those three forces have really magnified um, how the state's politics feels. We're going to move to contemporary politics very quickly, but just to touch on historically, and at least for a time, North Carolina was known as, referred to by some as a, a beacon, a progressive beacon of the South. Uh, where did that come from? And was it was it more of a firm moniker or more of a mirage? Yeah, that's a great question. So it it started really, I mean, a long time ago, but this guy named V.O. Key, he was a political scientist in the late 40s, and he wrote a book called Southern Politics and State and Nation. It's, it's really the North Star of people who study Southern politics. And he called North Carolina a progressive plutocracy, right? So he went around, looked at all the Southern states, said North Carolina is a progressive plutocracy as compared to the rest of these Southern states. People picked up on that theme, and so that continued for a long time, right? The progressive beacon of the South. We had a lot of very progressive governors. We had an education system that was sort of enviable um, compared to our Southern neighbors and our race relations appeared at least on the surface to be a little bit better than our Southern neighbors, right? We weren't Alabama, we weren't Mississippi, we weren't South Carolina. At the same time, some folks have argued, well, that was really a bit of a mirage. Like at the same time that Key is saying we're a progressive plutocracy, um, We've got the most Klan chapters of any state in the country. We've got race relations that really aren't so nice and that maybe the closer you get to North Carolina, the less progressive it looks. And Farrell Guillory, who longtime journalist in the state, sort of made that point. He said, yeah, from far away, it looks progressive. You get close up, maybe not so much. So in the past decade plus, born out of the 2010 elections, then with the, the legislature that was seated in 2011, there has been truly a fundamental transformation, at least from my perspective and, and not just my perspective, uh, in our politics, within state politics. Republicans reclaimed both chambers of the legislature for the first time in more than a century. And North Carolina has elevated, you use the word nationalized or, or nationalized a, a couple of moments ago. Uh, the state has elevated to a, a battleground across the country, right? Real or perceived, both for the White House and the U.S. Senate. Uh, how do you articulate this shift to your students? What's happened since 2010, 2011? Yeah, I mean, 
it's been turbocharged, right? Part of it is that both parties realistically think they can take control. It is a purple state. So the Republicans might lose control of the legislature at some point. The, the Democrats might lose control of the governor's mansion. And so when you've got power, you've got to act quickly. Um, and I think that's really what's happened. So you compare it to a state like California. The Democrats can slow roll everything in that state. They're going to be in control as long as you and I are talking about politics. The Republicans in Oklahoma, they can take their time. In North Carolina, you cannot take your time. And so I think that has led to this cutthroat politics. The nationalization has been both a cause and a consequence of that. So we see that voting patterns at local levels are increasingly tied to voting patterns at the presidential level. You used to have these really interesting pockets in North Carolina, particularly in the West, but throughout the state, where people would still vote for Democrats for lower office, Republicans for higher office. Those days are over. Your county commission vote and your presidential vote are almost certainly the same today. So I guess a quick follow up there, and I'm not looking at notes here in front of me, but I believe, and if you've got it uh, 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 more fine-tuned, please push back. I think across the last 14 elections, either 13 or 14 elections, we've had either eight or nine ticket splits. And each time voters have sent a Republican to the White House and a Democrat to this, the, 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 the governor's mansion. But based on what you're just saying, and it's gotten narrower and narrower because this just happened again in 2016 and in 2020 with Trump and Cooper, you think there's a day where that, that's going to just stop altogether? You know, I don't know. I think it is certainly stopped at lower offices. Whether it's going to stop at the statewide level, I don't know. So here's what I think is happening. We are a purple state. So in uh, the last two election cycles, we were right on the razor's edge between blue and red. In 2008, when Obama went, uh, when the state of North Carolina went for Obama, we turned blue. The reality was we're the reddest blue state in the country. Cut forward four years later, we're the bluest red state in the country, and that trend has continued. So because we're right on that edge between blue and red, small movements can make a big difference. And I think that's what we saw with Cooper and with Trump. Cooper has this ability that's dying among Democrats to be able to not get absolutely murdered in rural North Carolina. Um, we'll see if that trend continues, but I think that has really helped. So he's been able to carve this kind of perfect path you know, it's not inconceivable that we could see the reverse of that in 2024. We might see, you know, I'm not predicting that we will, but it's certainly possible that we would see a Biden-Robinson state or that we could see, again, a Trump-Stein state, or it might go more blue or more red. So back to the legislature, back to Jones Street. Across these last 13 years, Republicans have truly forged a, a period, an era of reform as we think about education policy, tax code, They've pursued, passed, and at times, I think about three dozen, been blocked by the courts for going too far. And do, they, they've done things that the judiciary has ruled unconstitutional. The legacy is still somewhat fluid, right? The, the past 13 years are the past 13 years, but we don't know what will transpire here uh, in the next several until Democrats eventually, presumably, will, will gain back control of one or both chambers. So with a long-range view, thinking about the political history of North Carolina, how do you view this era? I mean, one where in terms of manipulating the levers of power, which let's be honest, that's what politics is, it's been incredibly successful for the Republicans. I mean, I think when we look back 50 years from now at this era, we're going to say the most important election during this time period 
didn't occur in a presidential election year. It was 2010. In 2010, when the Republicans were able to really nationwide do incredibly well at the statehouse level, right? This red wave, uh, they were able to ride. They called it Project Red Map. They were very clear. They said, let's turn state legislatures red and then let's redraw the lines. And that's exactly what they did. And so in a legislature first state like North Carolina, that 2010 victory led to redistricting that certainly helped the Republicans. And they were able to ride that pretty well. They were beat back sometimes, right? I mean, if we think about some of the issues they lost, monster bills, certainly around voting rights, think about issues around HB2. So it wasn't a clear path rightward, but they have still moved the state to the right. There's no question. You mentioned progressive plutocracy before, and I can't help but wonder if you view the last 13 years as a conservative plutocracy. You know, it's a great question. I I don't know that it's that clear. I think there's still too many purple elements of the state. There's still too many breaks that have been put on by the courts, by the people. The increasing urban-rural divide in our state, um, which I think has been incredibly important for our state's politics, means that our urban centers are incredibly blue and bluing by the day. And that's very, very different than the environment 20, 30 years ago. So, no, I don't think it has been the same conservative plutocracy. I don't think it's a mirror image, but I think it is an incredibly competitive battleground where the Republicans smartly have acted when they could. We've all seen these election night maps with these swaths of red and these pockets of blue and the the population centers. And that's no different really across the country. But to turn our lens toward the the American South or the Southeast, uh, I'm wondering uh, because I'm thinking of Tennessee, right, with like Nashville and Memphis and uh, probably to a lesser extent Chattanooga and Knoxville. But it's this red state with these blue pockets. And I'm wondering, as we, we think about North Carolina relative to the South, What's generic about North Carolina as we think about Southern politics? And what what do you look at? And you go, oh, that, that's where North Carolina stands out. One way in which we're pretty consistent is that there's a massive urban-rural divide that is growing, right? So cities are getting bluer, rural areas are getting redder. What's different in North Carolina is that we just have more of these rural voters. So we have the second most rural voters in the entire country after Texas. We are not dominated by a single city like, let's say, Atlanta dominates Georgia. And so I think that's one thing that sort of kept us red in some ways is that the Democrats cannot just run up the score in urban areas. That's not enough in a state like North Carolina. And as we saw, that can be and sometimes is enough in a state like Georgia. Um, So I think that's really a fundamental difference. Chris Cooper is a professor of political science and public affairs at Western Carolina. He's also the author of Anatomy of a Purple State, due out in time for the 2024 election. You've dropped a few purples in here. You've alluded to purple. I'm not going to reject purple on its face for a number of reasons, some of which you have laid out here. But I want to get into purple. And maybe the starting point that I'm going to lead you down is, while this might be a purple state, there are very few purple places within it. Is that, is that a fair way to look at it? That's absolutely fair. Did you get a copy of the book, Jeff? That I <laughs> Not yet. I did not yet, no. <laughs> really, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's the point, right? It is a purple state, but it's not that everybody's purple or that most places are purple, or heck, that almost anywhere is purple. It is an average of blue and red, and the blue's getting bluer, and the red is getting redder. So we talk 
a little bit before about the urban-rural divide. So let's put a little finer point on that. In 2000, at a presidential election, obviously, really close one, Mecklenburg County, right, home of Charlotte, and Buncombe County, home of Asheville, voted for or gave the majority of their votes to George W. Bush, the Republican candidate for president. And we had rural counties all across the state of North Carolina that went for Al Gore. You just don't see that anymore, right? We've seen almost a perfect sorting of counties, precincts, municipalities into blue and red. So looking a little recently at incorporated areas versus unincorporated. All right, so just to grab county I'm talking to you from today, Jackson County, it's a, it's a rural county, but there are municipalities in there. So the town of Silva, for example, is a small municipality it's pretty blue, frankly. Uh, the county as a whole, pretty red outside of the municipalities. And so that averages to a little bit of purple. We're seeing that throughout the state. And so that's the polarization I'm talking about. If you're getting competition and you're getting polarization, they're both working in tandem. It may seem a little strange, but it's true. So to circle back to the top, this is the polarization you're talking about. This, to an extent, is the nationalization uh, that you and, uh, of course, many in the, in the in the political sphere mentioned all the time. The people haven't changed as much as the framing of it and the messaging of it have. So one of the things I wonder about often is, well, what's what's the path through this, right? Like, is this just how it's going to be for a while? Is it going to get more intense? Does the tribalism heat up? Is there a third party that emerges? What do you foresee as, as being the next step or steps here? Yeah, I see more of the same. I really do. I see a, perhaps even more of an increase, right? So we talked before about the South and kind of where North Carolina fits in the South. And so you think about the bigger sweep of history. South used to be the solidly Democratic South, right? And so then you saw places like Virginia and Georgia, go very, very red, right? So they went from very blue to very red, and then they kind of bounced back to something kind of sort of close to purple. To me, North Carolina is a really interesting case because, of course, we were solidly Democratic for a long time, but we were never as Democratic as our Southern neighbors, and we never went as Republican as they did either. It's like they went from, you know, 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock, back to 3 o'clock, we went from 12 to three and just hung out there for like, you know, three decades. And I really do see more of that. The, the nationalization is not going to slow down. I mean, look at school boards. 20 years ago, if we're having this conversation, that's not coming up. Now that is absolutely nationalized. I mean, let's think about what that means. Your opinion on Donald Trump is tied to your opinion on your local school board member, even though, let's be honest, those two people will never be in the same room. It is a fundamentally different, ramped up, turn it up to 11 environment. That was Chris Cooper, professor of political science at Western Carolina University and author of the soon-to-be-released Anatomy of a Purple State. He spoke with my co-host Jeff Tabiri. I'm Leonida Inge. This is Due South on WUNC.